0: Hello and welcome to political economy for the end times, talking political economy like there's no tomorrow. We are faced with intersecting crises that the world economy has remained stagnant since 2008, with the possibility of another financial crash looming. The European project confronts a series of existential threats. Several Latin American economies are wracked by familiar yet devastating economic imbalances. Even the Chinese juggernaut appears to be slowing. The natural world itself is groaning under the strain of capitalism's ravenous appetite, and the most jarring political mobilization that has arisen to m- meet these threats is a form of chauvinistic nativism that mimics the worst features of 20th-century politics. A political economy for our times must directly address these crises and attempt to grasp their interrelation and fundamental causes. This podcast is put together by myself, Jack Copley, and Javier Moreno-Zacarés.
1: Al Parlament i si textualment de la llei, obro celebrarà una sessió ordinària per efectuar una declaració formal de la independència de Catalunya, els seus efectes i acordar l'inici del procés constituent. Hi ha un abans i un després de l'1 d'octubre. I hem aconseguit el que ens vam comprometre a fer a l'inici de la legislatura. Arribats en aquest moment històric i com a president de la Generalitat, assumeixo en presentar-los els resultats del referèndum davant de tots vostès i davant dels nostres conciutadans, el mandat del poble que Catalunya es devingui un estat independent en forma de república.
2: Over the last decade, Spain has been trapped in a deep constitutional crisis. Much like elsewhere, the trigger were the shocks of the global financial crisis, which burst the giant property bubble that had underpinned Spanish capitalism in the previous decade. With the collapse of property prices, a huge construction sector imploded. And as this labor-intensive industry crumbled, Spain became responsible for half of all the job destruction in the European Union during the Great Recession. In the meantime, the acts of austerity fell on the poor, under the pretext of now familiar punitive discourses. However, these dramatic circumstances overlapped with a cascade of corruption revelations, which showed that the Spanish political elite had been systematically colluding with the real estate industry, trading public contracts and politically inflated land prices for bribes and illicit campaign finance. This, disabled the legitimacy of austerity as the anger of the populace turned against a sleazy elite that was trying to scapegoat them. The result was a severe political crisis, one that shattered an established two-party system, pulverizing parliament into a mosaic of small and mid-sized parties. As the two main establishment parties lost their grip over the state, the political and economic consensus of previous decades fell apart. In the process, long-buried constitutional issues came to the fore. The so-called regime of 1978, the constitutional settlement that gave birth to the present Spanish state after the end of General Franco's dictatorship, entered into a series of convulsive crises. The first convulsion were the mass anti-austerity protests of 2011, the 15M movement. Led by a youth in revolt, the uprising of the so-called indignant, spoke of the constitution of 1978 as the tyranny of a previous generation. The second convulsion was the translation of this movement into a political party, the left populist Podemos. With a meteoric rise in 2014, the party vowed to storm the heavens and smash the lock of the constitutional settlement. The third convulsion was the outbreak of the Catalan Revolt of 2017, the most dramatic expression of the regime crisis, as millions of Catalans defied the Spanish state by holding an independence referendum without place within the constitutional framework. The fourth convulsion was the rise of the Spanish far-right party, Vox, in 2019. Thirsty for revenge against the defiance of leftists and Catalan nationalists, the far-right is also challenging the constitutional settlement in their own way by calling for a sweeping recentralization of the state and the banning of political parties that they deem undesirable. The most recent development in this unfolding regime crisis is the formation of a coalition government between the center leftists of PSOE and Podemos, a ruling coalition that reminisces the popular front of the 1930s. Critically, this government relies on the support of the Catalan nationalist left which will predictably demand a legally binding self-determination referendum. The old world is dying and the new struggles to be born, but what does political economy have to tell us about the Spanish state's morbid symptoms? To talk about this, we have interviewed Nagore Calvo, lecturer in Spanish and European studies at King's College, London. Nagore's work, researches the political economy and historical sociology of the Spanish state, focusing on state formation, nationalism, state restructuring, and crisis management. But before we continue, I have to point out two things. One is that the interview took place last month, at a time when Spanish government negotiations had not yet concluded. And two, due to an unforeseen technical issue, we had to borrow new equipment last minute, which is why listeners may notice a slightly different sound quality in the interview itself. But our listeners can rest assured, this will be corrected in all future recordings. Thanks for having us today. I wanted to start from the beginning, mm-hmm. so to speak, yeah. uh, by which I mean the Spanish constitutional settlement mm-hmm. of 1978, mm-hmm. which laid the present foundations of the Spanish state. Mm-hmm. So the settlement was pivotal in the transformation mm-hmm. of Franco's highly centralized dictatorship into the quasi-federal liberal democracy that Spain is today. Mm-hmm. <coughs> what trade-offs did this constitutional settlement involve? And what did these, or sorry, how did these shape the political economy of the new state?
1: Well, I I think um, uh, for me, kind of the constitutional settlement, what it involved um, mainly was the dismantlement or the dismantling of key uh, Francoist institutions, such as the Vertical Syndicate and the Institute of National Industry. So here we are talking about... The corporatist institutions that were foundational to the developmentalist state of the Francoist state, counterintuitively, uh, kind of uh, under kind of this coercive, uh, kind of highly coercive authoritarian state, and within the um, uh, corporatist institutions of the vertical syndicate, uh, the labor movement in Spain became uh, very strong. Uh, significant political uh, player and significant in understanding the collapse of the regime in the early 1970s. So, in this sense that the constitutional settlement kind of means dismantling those institutions and, within these institutions, um, taking away the platform for the labor movement and kind of undermine or marginalize the labor movement as a political actor. And then, Simultaneously, kind of, this means bringing in new set of institutions and institutional practices known as uh, kind of we can define them as a state of autonomies, which means is creating seventeen regional governments. You have a constitutional court. You have uh, also um, uh, regional political parties. That then they constitute the main apparatus, so to speak, or the main set of practices, an institutional kind of framework that will uh, kind of constitute um, the new uh, the new state. Um, and also, in addition to this, obviously, uh, the state of autonomy is significant to understand the new legitimacy. Of the Spanish national liberal state that is framed in terms of identity politics, the importance and significance of cultural and minority rights. Um, and how this affects is to the kind of uh, uh, to the political economy of the new state is in that the state of autonomies are now significant uh, in the economic policy process it constitutes a new form of economic intervention uh, that targets, um, uh, that it's place-specific and therefore kind of targets economic development regionally and at the urban level rather than developing a comprehensive national um, uh, 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 kind of uh, economic strategy.
2: So in the 2000s, just picking up from from Mm -hmm. where you left off, Spain saw the inflation of a gigantic property bubble Mm -hmm. uh, that was fueled by... Eurozone Finance, and that was animated by inter-urban competition, mm-hmm. uh, continuing with this mm-hmm. urban entrepreneurial mm-hmm. um, dynamics that you know, mm-hmm. y- where your answer was, was getting into, I think. So the dramatic burst of this mm-hmm. bubble during the global financial crisis set in motion a chain reaction of economic, social, and political crises mm-hmm. throughout the country. Mm-hmm. In your work, you explore how the state structure that came out of '78. Mm-hmm. Has shaped the crisis management strategies of the last decade. Mm-hmm. Can you explain this argument, please?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, kind of. What I would say is that what has happened is um, that there has been um, kind of, um, in terms of resources and competences, kind of because uh, the state of autonomy is what it represents is. A devolution or kind of decentralisation of competences and resources, and uh, kind of the distribution between the national and regional levels. And what has happened is that there has been a kind of um, a, um, um, uh, how, a redistribution of these competences and, and these distributions in a way some people might have put it in favour of the central government. Okay. Now, these have obviously resulted in political tensions between the national kind of and regional kind of governments. And significant, or um, 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 an example of this was the adoption of Article 135 of the Spanish Constitution. And kind of, what what this means basically is that. Um, the central government is imposing that repayment as a priority over investment to other economic areas. And so the regional governments are forced at the moment to invest or pay back their debt that they owe over kind of investing in issues uh, that are of concern of the citizens, such as infrastructures, um, um, health, education, etc., 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 and this therefore has led to aggravating, as I was saying before, uh, uh, political tensions between the national and kind of regional um, kind of governments.
2: The overlap of austerity measures with a myriad of corruption allegations destabilized the legitimacy of the constitutional mm-hmm. regime. Mm-hmm. The result has been a decade of frontal challenges to the constitutional settlement. Mm -hmm. So from the 15M to Podemos, to the Catalan Revolt, Mm -hmm. to most recently the Mm far-right party Vox. Mm -hmm. Can we speak of an organic crisis of the Spanish state? Well,
1: I mean, I think certainly there is a comprehensive crisis um, taking place at the moment in Spain. You have a crisis of representation in the political, um, um, in the party system, Uh, in the sense that, as you've been describing, you have on the left the resurgence of new political parties such as Podemos. You have, allegedly here, kind of the development of different political directions, political projects competing with one another. We see similar things happening on the right of the political spectrum. More recently, as you have been s- uh, saying, with the development of Vox, but also the political party of Citizens, mm-hmm. although it was creating kind of before the financial crisis, but its impetus, its importance, really took place after, in the aftermath of the um, uh, global financial crisis. We can talk as well about a crisis of authority uh, of the political um, of the political elites, in the sense that we have you know, uh, linked to questions of corruption, there is a disconnect between the political elites and the general population at large. And also kind of this extends as well to other political institutions such as the monarchy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's not forget what happened with the former king of Spain, with Juan Carlos, that had to abdicate after his accident in Africa, Mm -hmm. and then kind of, uh, and then substituted by his son as the next uh, monarch. Uh, there is the question as well of the legitimacy um, uh, crisis of the state, in the sense that uh, there seems to be very difficult to create a national consensus in terms of the direction that the country should follow, in terms of the, in terms of developing a comprehensive political economic project that the um, that the country uh, should follow. And an example of this is that there has been already four elections in the last four years. The legislative chamber is unable to legislate to pass kind of any comprehensive measures and policies um, uh, that are kind of in any way uh, um, meaningful. So in this sense, yes, that we can talk about an organic um, crisis of the sector, a comprehensive crisis at many levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, let's move on to specific regional tensions. Mm -hmm. So, starting in 2012, the mass anti-austerity protests of Barcelona morphed into widespread calls for self-determination against an unrepresentative elite in Madrid. Mm -hmm. Ironically, however, the Catalan nationalist right responsible for rolling out austerity measures in the region came up on top of this movement and succeeded in redirecting popular anger towards the central government. The culmination of this process was the unilateral organization of a self-determination referendum in 2017, which was, of course, dramatically repressed by Spanish security forces. And uh, arguably the recent riots in the streets of Barcelona are basically still the aftershocks of of that event. Now, the overlap of these riots with a series of revolts in Latin America and the Middle East has prompted some debate as to whether the Catalan experience should be considered as part of, of this new, w- or what looks like a new global wave of struggle. Some have argued that unlike the socioeconomic grievances animating the struggles mm-hmm. of, say, Chile or mm-hmm. Ecuador, the Catalan struggle revolves more around identitarian issues. Can you help us make sense of the Catalan revolt mm-hmm. by perhaps giving uh, giving us an insight into mm-hmm. the political mm-hmm. economy o- of this conflict?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think kind of um, uh, practically the health um, the health of the Catalan economy was not or is not as good as it is usually presented um, in the media, and um, kind of obviously with the global financial crisis and the aftermath of it in the Eurozone. What led was to a banking crisis in Spain that affected uh, many of the saving banks located in the Mediterranean corridor, obviously the most exposed to this housing bubble. Particularly the banking system in Catalonia suffered uh, from this crisis. And therefore, this is one of the mechanisms that disappeared, or rather that the uh, Catalan government lost one of its mechanisms mm-hmm. uh, for uh, investment into economic development projects. Um, there is also uh, the question that there is national and um, national, there is national and um, and regional, national and regional governments in Spain have co-respons- fiscal responsibility which means is that, as you may know, that there are two fiscal systems uh, systems in Spain, one for Basque Country and uh, Navarra on the one hand, uh, which means that these two regions can collect their own taxes, and then they pay an amount from these taxes to the national government. The rest of the autonomous communities, however, they more, uh, mostly um, receive transfers for, uh, from the national government um, uh, into um, um, uh, into the regional and to the regional governments. However, this has changed over the years to the extent that, as as I was saying, there is co-responsibility, and fifty percent of the taxes, income, VAT and certain manufactured products are collected regionally. So this means that uh, because of this, at the peak of the financial crisis in 2012, there was a situation where international rating agencies started to differentiate or discriminate between national debt and regional debt. Mm and um and basically for catalonia this meant that these international rating agencies rated the catalan debt very poorly kind of it was actually one of the worst rated debts in the whole of spain right. so as a result of that kind of catalan government was unable to access international uh, financial markets to service its debt so mm-hmm. this added kind of to the um, uh, to the sense of the inability of the, obviously, of the Catalan government to pursue any meaningful kind of economic reforms, policies, etc., etc. In addition to this, obviously, the Catalan government had to deal with one of the highest unemployment rates as well nationally, which was close to the national average. Here we are talking about 23, I remember at the time, 23%, something like that. If you compare, for example, with the Basque country at the time, unemployment levels in Basque country at the time, which were 15%, very high, but 10 points lower than in the Catalan context. This also means kind of Questions um, uh, obviously less revenue, kind uh, of because people do cannot pay, you know, the taxes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Plus, in addition to everything else, the fact that the Catalan government was pursuing austerity policies and this affected the areas of education, media, health, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we are talking here um, not only kind of widespread um, uh, disillusionment and fear and anger. Uh, from the population, we are also, um, kind of, we should point out the fact that this affected strongly the middle classes. So we are talking those as well that, uh, kind of, control and operate the media, who then have the power to control the discourse and the narrative of what is happening at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think this explains, kind of, partly as well, why narratives and discourses during this time in 2012 began to... um, uh, kind of metaphors, as you were saying, kind of uh, this uh, identity politics with distribution politics in the context of Catalonia, kind Mm -hmm. of complain, you know, it's about distribution, we don't get enough, and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth.
2: So this runs into my next question, Mm -hmm. which is that the Basques seem to have been remarkably quiet since the Catalan government went rogue a Mm -hmm. few years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, any commentator observing the territorial conflicts of the early 2000s, which revolved much more around um, the Basque position within the Spanish state, would have assumed that the Basque government was a more likely candidate to mount a separatist challenge in this decade than uh, the Catalan government. Maybe give us a brief comparative perspective into these two territories. Mm -hmm. What are the different structural positions that, that Basque country and Catalonia hold within the Spanish state? And how does this shape their respective nationalist mm-hmm. movements.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, the first thing to take into consideration was the end of ETA in 2011. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, the integration of EH um, uh, Bildu. Um, there was the transformation of Herri Batasuna HB, or the All HB, which is the political win of ETA, uh, so to speak.
2: So the Spanish, uh, sorry, the Basque Sinn Féin. Yes, exactly, the, yeah.
1: fa- the Basque Sinn Féin. So it was the integration of this political party into the political system, Mm -hmm. okay? So this means that uh, it has to prove itself, or it had to prove itself that could work within the existing uh, status quo. But in addition to this as well, there has been another transformation, and it is that uh, in terms of economics, or from the economic point of view, there has been a shift from being an anti-capitalist political party to being a social democratic political party in terms of its economic policies. So this, I think, has ameliorated um, its political stance, although it doesn't mean that um, it is a marginal or secondary political party because we know and we've seen from the electoral results since 2011 that it continues to be a prominent political party um, uh, in Basque country. In addition to this, um, uh, the Economic, uh, the economy of Basque country was in better shape when, um, uh, when uh, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, at, at the point of the global financial crisis. Um, there is one indicator, for example, that um, we can see uh, if we look at the export markets of the Basque economy. Uh, many of those go to high-value-added economies in comparison to the Catalan. Um, uh, export economies, economies, which might suggest that the Basque economy is more competitive. But then also there is uh, the question of um, uh, the cooperative movement, so the Mondragon uh, Corporation, which is uh, one of the largest cooperative movements in the world, and this is important because it employs, um, uh, it, it constitutes ten percent of the employment in the Basque Country, and this is, is this is very important uh, in terms of, you know, how um, kind of um, uh, how in the Basque countries it's been possible um, kind of to deal with the shocks of the economic crisis. So for example uh, an area of uh, the Mondragon Corporation the White white Goods suffered a crisis Uh, and this is because as a result of a series of bad decisions that were taken in the 2000s kind of in this kind of in the years where money uh, was available, and, and so there was an expansionary impetus there, that obviously backfired uh, during the financial crisis. This, le- uh, this led to kind of the necessity to lay off a thousand employees, if I remember correctly. But of course, what the Mondragon Corporation did, because of its ethos, was to uh, re-employ many of these workers in other parts of the cooperation of the structure. And those that could not be uh, um, um, re-employed, they were kind of Mm. helped to find jobs in other sectors of the economy in Basque Country. So you have that kind of safety net Mm. uh, that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Um, In addition to this as well, um, uh, so there has been actually much more support for the manufacturing economy in Basque Country, um, and for several reasons, A, Uh, there has been um, uh, difficulties in developing a proper tourist sector In Basque Country, obviously, it's not the Mediterranean corridor. uh, There is um, the climate is not as good and as sunny as in Catalonia and Valencia and so on and so forth. Uh, But also, there has been the question of ETA for many decades, and this prevented, kind of, uh, you know, um, prevented uh, kind of the development of really um, kind of a proper kind of housing bubble, kind of the hotels and uh, and all the (laughs) infrastructures that you need. And kind of sustain this uh, kind of um, the, the, the housing bubble. And also, this means, therefore, that its financial system was in much better shape than the Catalan financial system. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the main regional banks, Cucha and Caja Laboral, Caja Laboral is the financial branch of the cooperative movement, mm-hmm. did not have any significant or, uh, exposure to this housing bubble. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, it means that the Basque government has the instrument, instruments to still be able to finance its kind of key economic policies. Mm-hmm.
2: So these um, regional tensions that we've been talking about, they have recently, well, recently, you know, more recently than not, prompted a splintering and radicalization of the Spanish right. Mm-hmm. The perception that the Conservative People's Party administration was slow to act in the face of the mounting Catalan revolt mm-hmm. seems to have been the main driving force. Um, in the rise of Vox, Mm -hmm. a far-right split of the People's Party itself and uh, as of November Vox is the third largest force in the Spanish Parliament. Help us make sense of Vox. First, what is their social basis and what does it what does its economic program look like? And second, in what ways does Vox represent a challenge to the constitutional settlement, but from the right?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, in terms of its social basis, uh, there is on the one hand uh, because Vox have been using uh, the immigrant cards, uh, kind of uh, scaremongering kind of about the immigration and job losses, etc. You have obviously a social basis that is. Um, composed of the working classes, uh, kind of um, the working class that would vote for Vox, but I think also there is a significant constituent of the middle and upper classes in, uh, on the right that have voted for Vox because they are disappointed or disillusioned with the Pepe, cons- I mean, with the Pepe, uh, with the center-right, statewide center-right political party Pepe in Spain. Mm. So it's not just simply. You know, as I was saying, you know, the working classes, but also the middle upper classes as well, mm. that have been voting uh, for uh, for Vox. Uh, in terms of the economic program and, and the constitutional challenge from the right, I think uh, Vox uh, favors a political line that is close to the new conservative position of the PP. Yeah. I think let's not forget that Vox was um, a, a project of Esperanza Aguirre. Oh. And um, as such, kind it's of just,
2: just for our listeners, Esperanza Aguirre was the, um, you know, one of the most visible figures of the neoconservative uh, resistance to the more centrist technocrat that was. Rajoy.
1: Represented Rajoy, exactly. Yeah. So, so
2: basically, she's the. I, I had no idea that she, you know, yes. boxes her brainchild. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. Yeah. And also, Esperanza Aguirre is close to uh, Jose Maria Aznar as well in of terms course. of. Yeah. Economic, its economic project, etc. So what we have here is a strong unitary vision hmm. uh, uh, with, uh, um, uh, with uh, together with a vision of the smallest state. So which means it's basically a policy that favors marketization and privatization. So in this sense, it has a very, on the one hand, a very conservative policy in terms of gender identity politics, on the other hand, a very ultra- neoliberal economic policy.
2: Mm. Yeah. Um, so Vox's ultra neoliberal programme, as you put it, as well as their ultra catholicism and overt misogyny, is it's seems really salient yeah. in their in yeah. their agenda. Mm-hmm. Seems to put them at odds uh, with say the uh, Front National in in France, for example, mm-hmm. which is protectionist mm-hmm. and also supposedly defends you know, women's rights against mm-hmm. patriarchal mm-hmm. migrants. Mm-hmm. How would you say Vox compares to other far-right parties in Europe? Mm-hmm. How do you situate them mm-hmm. within the, you know, varieties mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. uh, far-right far right, in, in Europe?
1: Yeah, I think, um, yes, obviously, Vox, it's sui to to Spain, cannot to an extent, but to Spain. Obviously, I think you have to position it in relation to these other movements emerging in the context. Of, uh, in the context of Europe and the United States as well, you could add. I would actually perhaps compare Vox with the English uh, Defence League and the Brexit Party in the sense that there is this nostalgia a nostalgia for empire and kind mm-hmm. of the recovery of the, of the, uh, the greatness of uh, Spain. And there is an example of this. I don't know if you've seen these images of Santiago Abascal on a horse, mm-hmm. you know, riding across the landscape of Spain. <laughs> Uh, and in a way this emulates the myths uh, that were so important for the legitimacy of the Franco regime that is um, uh, the idea of the crusades, the Christianization of the country which is how the Spanish Empire is usually imagined by the by the political rights mm. so there is an element of empire and Atlanticism um, uh, that is important for Box, and obviously this um, uh, fits well, I think, with Aznar's also mm, yeah. turn, Atlantis' yeah. turn in yeah. the 1990s. Remember yeah. kind of, you know, the coalition of Aznar with Bush yes. and Tony Blair, yeah. the Iraq war and, and the fights against the uh, axis yeah. of evil. Mm-hmm. So there is this aspect of, of, of Vox. In contrast, yes, with the Front National, uh, as we were saying, it's uh, Vox, it's an ultra-Catholic group. I mean, um, in the sense also that it has used atheoir. Uh, These uh, Catholic organizations in Spain that very much favor family, uh, very family-orientated, very uh, traditional views of uh, womanhood and manhood, you know, traditional wives, husbands, and so on and so forth, one man has to be at home, and so on and so on, and the redefining of gender policies, so trying to kind of... um, uh, uh, go against um, uh, the no- notions of gender violence, so and redefine what happens at home as domestic violence, in the sense of containing any violence that takes place in the domestic area as something, um, as something as a family problem, mm-hmm. uh, rather than a question of uh, masculine violence yeah. and w- against uh, against women. That really, this it is different from nation- from national because. Well, the difference might be as well, because in the Front National you have strong uh, women leaders. And therefore, uh, y- you know, they have to kind of, uh, I suppose, calibrate their gender message, kind of having such a strong kind of leaders that, you know, that were women. So, yeah.
2: It, it seems to me that Vox's identity politics mm-hmm. are a bit like a hangover of the 2000s mm-hmm. in the sense that they seem to be fanning the, f- mm. the flames of culture wars
1: that mm. had been lost yeah. by the right, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. So mm. it seems that things like gender-based violence, mm. but not only, right? Mm. It, it seems a lot of the talking points yeah. of the neoconservative right mm. during the Zapatero years mm. of the 2000s, right? Mm. And they use the, the mm. current
1: mm. uh,
2: socio and economic yeah. climate to, yeah. to
1: you know, random yeah, yeah yeah but it is it would be interesting to think about who are the audiences of these messages and um, and, and and yeah and kind of kind of whether whether is you know kind of in the sense of whether they are directed towards uh, the kind of um, masculine um Kind of social groups where kind of certain notions of masculinity uh, kind of are important, kind of these much more conservative notions of masculinity, and maybe the sort of kind of um, if we think that kind of the audiences of these messages are uh, kind of the working classes of Southern Europe, kind of agricultural, um, the agricultural sector, etc., there might be perhaps a resonance uh, um, in terms of understandings of masculinity, notions yeah. of family, etc., etc., et cetera, that might be relevant, although they are quite um, antiquated, but kind of maybe relevant for certain kind of groups of society. But I think, I would think that the impact is very contained. I don't think it has the capacity to evolve into kind of a movement in its own right. right. So it is appealing to certain kind of, uh, subjectivities, but you know, I don't think, as I said, it would kind yeah. of expand on it. And even within the Pepe as well, if you think about it, it was this, um, the former um Gallardone? Gallardone. Gallardone. Do you remember that uh, he trying to introduce uh, changes to the abortion yeah, law? Yeah, yeah. And he had, uh, and he encountered resistance even within its poli- own political party. Yeah. So there are already certain gender issues mm. that there is far kind of too much political consensus across the spectrum of the political party f- for it to start changing or reforming or transforming, such as, for example, the abortion law, yeah. even within the the Pepe mm-hmm. within the right wing. So that's why, kind of, I'm 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 thinking kind of that these messages, discourses, etc., have a very limited resonance. Yeah. My, my it's interesting what you, mm-hmm.
2: you say about male subjectivities yeah. in, in rural yeah, Spain. Yeah. Um, it seemed to me, from just... I, yeah. mean, I haven't done an in-depth analysis, yeah, yeah, right? Sure. But the elections in, in the mm. spring, mm-hmm. it seemed that Vox was pretty much contained an upper-middle-class phenomenon at yes, the time. Yes,
0: yes, yes.
2: But it made some inroads
1: yeah.
2: in, uh, in parts of Spain, in the working classes of some yeah, parts of Spain, mm-hmm. especially in the south, mm-hmm. especially in rural areas.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I put it down to... Uh, places where there is an extensive foreign proletariat. Yeah. So I thought maybe it was that. yeah. And uh, and also seems to be a, a, a connection with areas where the working classes have ties strong ties to security forces mm-hmm. right? So you think Murcia, yeah, exactly. Almería, yeah, yeah, um, Huelva yeah. right? So military yeah, bases and, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. on. So I thought maybe mm-hmm. it was that but mm-hmm. this is an interesting point mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. raise. Mm-hmm. However in November mm-hmm. we've seen a, a broader breakthrough. Mm-hmm. The Vox has mm-hmm. appealed mm-hmm. to, yeah. p- to bigger layers of the working class or perhaps a sort of a lower middle class of commuters in Madrid, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's this Mm -hmm. weird halo Mm -hmm. around Madrid Mm -hmm. that has always puzzled me. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. But also kind of it's interesting, maybe it would be interesting to read these results as well in relation to what has happened to the uh, citizens, to the political party, the citizens, because it it has lost massively. Mm. So you would expect that uh, part of its electorate has been distributed between Pepe and Vox, yeah. I would say, yeah. so, yeah, kind yeah. of... Uh,
2: it's funny how the the centre and the far right in Spain are, are so slippery, yeah. they <laughs> have such a slippery relationship, <laughs> yes, <yes>. do <don't> <laughs> Okay, let's move on to the last part of the interview. Mm-hmm. I wanted to finish with the prospects uh, for the next coalition government, mm-hmm. which at the time of recording is still being negotiated. Mm-hmm. Predictably, this coalition government will be formed by the center-left PSOE Mm -hmm. and the radical-left Podemos and will be requiring the parliamentary support of at least the Catalan nationalist left Mm -hmm. Esquerra Republicana. This complex balance of forces is bound to create a series of tensions Mm -hmm. and contradictions in the new government. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's try to unpack them Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the Catalan question. Mm Within PSOE, there is a mix of unitary yeah. and federalist mm-hmm. tendencies. However, the party is overall mm-hmm. staunchly unionist mm-hmm. and so far has refused to consider the possibility of Catalan self determination.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: By contrast, Podemos is the only Spanish party mm-hmm. demanding the organization of a mm-hmm. binding referendum mm-hmm. to negotiate an exit out of the territorial mm-hmm. deadlock. Mm-hmm. And moreover, the nationalists of Esquerra will predictably not settle for anything less than an independence vote Mm -hmm. and or the pardoning of the separatist leaders that were recently sentenced to harsh prison Mm -hmm. sentences Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. their part Mm -hmm. in the illegal referendum of Mm -hmm. 2017. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how can the next government possibly Mm. navigate Mm -hmm. these pressures? Mm. Are we heading towards a constitutional reform mm-hmm. of some sort, mm-hmm. one that redesigns the t- mm-hmm. you know, territorial mm-hmm. structure of the Spanish state? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if this is the case, what might this look like?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so to start with, maybe i like to open here a parenthesis. Yeah. And, and you were saying about the radical political economy, Podemos. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Podemos is not a radical political party mm-hmm. um, in the sense that its main concern has... Been mostly corruption, and question of transparency, democratic uh, the democratic process, etc. Now, uh, and this all was encapsulated by a soundbite word, which was La Casta, mm-hmm. okay, the, c- the caste or the kind of
2: yeah, <laughs> the establishment. Yes,
1: establishment. Thank you. And I think it has been less um, uh, less radical, or has been um, uh, kind of has not developed or. Um, kind of a radical critique of the workings of the global financial system. Now um, I think in this sense Podemos fits well uh, with neoliberal discourses and narratives about um, uh, corruption and transparency put forward by the likes of the IMF and World Bank because they are also concerned about transparency and the effects of corruption. They are also even concerned about the effects of inequality Uh, the effects that it will have um, in the stability of society unless they've been less concerned with uh, developing a critique of the global financial system. So in this sense, I think Podemos uh, should be situated more as a traditional social democratic reformist political party Mm. than it is a radical party. So kind of similar to what probably PESO was in the 1970s and early 1980s.
2: I think they say that themselves, don't they? Okay. I think that uh, Iglesias, I've heard him basically make the point that Pesoe has moved so far to the center that they find themselves taking on... uh, Yeah. You know, he even says that um, in some senses... Podemos almost sounds like the old Christian democracy. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> funny. <laughs> but he, he says it with pride, I suppose. But, but yeah. I don't know if this reflects where we are in the yeah. you know in the in the,
1: yeah, in the struggle. But yes, yes. Anyway. Well so anyway, <laughs> having kind of made this little kind of parenthesis, I think in the um um in the current political climate, I don't see the possibility. I mean, anything can happen, but I don't see the possibility of organizing any other referendum or the central government agreeing, even if there is political will on the part of parts of the PSOE and Podemos for that. I don't think there is a a political climate to allow the organization of a referendum. But also I think that if there are certain changes, for example, in terms of the distribution of the fiscal policy or the rearrangement of the fiscal policy, although let's not forget that there is already co-responsibility of the fiscal policy between the national government and the regional governments, But in any case, if there is a rearrangement of that, say something that is more similar to the Basque, um, uh, to what the Basque government or the Basque region, the autonomous community and Navarra have, Mm -hmm. then probably things would settle down, quiet down in the context of Catalonia, perhaps because one uh, part of the discourse of the Catalan uh, independentist movement has been around these issues very strongly. Yeah. So, this might be a way of mm. accommodating or at least kind of bringing things to a much more, I don't know, kind of settled kind of uh, situation.
2: I mean, that would split the Catalan nationalist yeah, movement, yeah, yeah, but. Yeah reached this point mm. when things have escalated yeah, so much. Yeah. Because mm. if it were, say, 2012, mm. when mm. they still yeah, had d- these, yeah, b- yeah. these bourgeois yeah. demands, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, España yeah. and Roba, yeah. you know, Spain yeah. steals mm-hmm. from us, is thieving us all mm-hmm. these fiscal... Mm-hmm. But by now, mm-hmm. that has sort of taken mm. a back seat. Yeah, that's
1: right. And it has things this, this radical... Yeah. Yeah. this this yeah.
2: demand for n- mm. nationhood, you yeah. know, national recognition, and I think that... Maybe uh, mm. as you mm. are suggesting, mm. it shaves off mm. a good layer mm. of support, especially yeah. from the more economically minded yeah. Catalan yeah. nationalists. Yeah. But let's let's also not forget yeah. that it's the bourgeois wing of the mm. nationalist movement yeah. that is completely yeah. radicalized yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's it's true. a really yeah. paradoxical yeah. situation, yeah. right? Yeah. When it was traditionally the the Catalan nationalist left that, yes. that would.
1: Yes. Anyway, yeah sorry so no, no no No. it is a very good point and and, and these points and this observation has to have to be made because there is this always tendency to say or to present the Catalan nationalism at this homogeneous kind of movement and that represents kind of just uh, kind of one uh, particular viewpoint uh, kind of one one type of identity politics or whatever it is but it's not quite the same and it is important also to differentiate precisely what you are saying kind of uh, this paradoxical situation where you have the bourgeoisie Constituted the revolutionary force. Yeah. Kind of when historically kind of you have this situation yeah. <laughs> where it's the bourgeoisie constituting yeah. no the progressive force, or yeah. allegedly the progressive force. Not
2: since the 19th century, <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe. <Since laughs> you know, so it, it, it's a very, uh, and, and, and as you were saying, kind of when precisely it is this segment of the Catalan nationalism, the institutional aspect of it, that has been rolling out all the austerity policies. Mm. So these contradictions, they need to be spelled out. Uh, kind of, uh, uh, kind of clearly, and yes, kind of you are right. There is a, rec- a radicalization of this part, and therefore they have a clout. They have institutional resources. They have institutional power. So this has to be dealt with somehow or the other um, uh, uh, in relation to w- together with the national government. How is going to happen? <coughs> I don't know. They will have to find a way clearly to. Um, Yeah, and one of the ways is just kind of try uh, for institutional changes. Um, uh, You know, again, we are going to the same thing, as you were saying, kind of it has passed, gone, these kind of economic demands and so on and so forth. But they could try to, you know, to do that, for example, kind of uh, via institutional agreements, exchanges and bargaining, as has been the practice since the 1980s. Uh, But nevertheless, these attempts at reform are not new. Uh, even within uh, kind of the peso, there have been, uh, you know, debates and so on and so forth, and classic uh, suggestions are the transformation of the Senate, because mm. allegedly it is the territorial representation of the state, but it doesn't work as such, and so making it the proper federal chamber, you kind know, of that would be one suggestion. Another suggestion would be um, an a political approach that makes the Constitution a much more flexible to. Or mechanism of adaptation for crisis management, mm-hmm. as it you know, in comparison to what it has been now uh, has been until now, you know, um, nobody wants to touch the constitution, or there is a very limited and yeah. rigid reading of yeah. what the constitution is,
2: except when Article One Hundred and Thirty Five. Uh, exactly, to, to <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to, exactly, precisely.
1: There has there have been only two changes in the mm-hmm. constitution in the last forty years or so, yeah. and that was the nineteen eighty six year, yeah. kind of to... Um, bring all the European law, yeah. uh, integrate all the European law into the Spanish yeah. constitution, and then yeah. uh, the 2011 Article 135,
2: yeah. which, I- in a sense, is also bringing European law in a way because yeah. it's integrating the European Fiscal Compact exactly. into yeah. the Spanish constitution.
1: Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yes. So I- it is about yeah making it more flexible, but which means also is understanding or agreeing to having a um, much more political approach to what the constitution is in other words you need political will to realize and to understand that the constitution is but that a political agreement and and therefore as such it needs to be renewed every so often so that it adapts to the historical needs uh, as required mm-hmm. To historical needs as required yeah.
2: okay let's finish with the political economy of the next government mm-hmm. i want to Probably a little bit more this thing you were saying mm-hmm. about uh, Podemos. Mm-hmm. So, PSOE is a center left party with links to the Spanish economic establishment mm-hmm. and seems very reluctant to take on board Podemos's more radical agenda, especially around labor rights. They want to uh, roll back the labor mm-hmm. reform mm-hmm. of the previous mm-hmm. conservative and social democratic uh, administrations, mm-hmm. PSOE administrations. And um,
1: this is. A lot of rolling back. <laughs> a
2: lot of rolling back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Podemos has also been quite vocal mm. in demanding a uh, housing reform mm. to cap mm. um, uh, rent mm-hmm. rents in, okay. in major mm-hmm. cities uh, mm-hmm. because they're, they're escalating mm-hmm. in the last decade. Mm-hmm. And then, on the other hand, mm-hmm. Podemos is a party that mm-hmm. was born in the wake of the 2011-2014 mm-hmm. anti-austerity mm-hmm. upsurge And they cannot be seen to accept new cuts in the event of a coming recession. Mm -hmm. That would be probably electoral suicide suicide, for them. Again, there's a Mm. bit of a stalemate here. Mm. What are the prospects Mm. for any radical Mm. economic Mm. change coming out of this government?
1: Well, I mean, well, Kenneth, um, I would say that because you were mentioning about um, the labor market. And as you were saying, there have been lots of reforms to the labor market. So, at the moment, um, the labor market in Spain is in very poor conditions uh, in terms of, uh, terms of employment. Um, trade unions hardly have any significant voice uh, in politics um, for a very long time. And the collective bargaining structures clearly are very damaged and have been very damaged for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So, I think it is possible to introduce reforms without them being necessarily too radical. So appearing to make inroads Mm -hmm. into making transformations into the labor market, but how radical they can be or how far they can go or they will go is a different matter. Mm -hmm. But obviously they can have an electoral impact Mm -hmm. and kind of the opportunity of saying, well, this is what we promise and uh, we are doing it. Uh, But because there is so much room for (laughs) improvement that anything is going to look good, basically, uh, in uh, in the current circumstances. Uh, but, yeah, as you were saying, there is a stalemate. And, 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 and PES, as you were saying, represents uh, the economic establishment. This is kind of basically, this means um, national champions, uh, but mostly global capital. And kind of most of the policies and reforms that have been introduced have always favoured the reproduction of these uh, forms of capital. Mm -hmm. And I think it will continue to be the case. Um, And, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't see kind of, mm, yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: So Podemos seems to have agreed, Mm. uh, this is at the time of recording, of course, things might evolve in the next few weeks, but Podemos seems to have agreed to um, keep their
1: social welfare policies that they want to
2: introduce Mm -hmm. within... The framework of the deficit caps. Exactly. Exa- uh, yeah. Exactly.
1: Right? Exa- so exa- so it's, that's that. Y- y- it it is not. It, that's why, in the sense, you know, this is another good example why it's not a radical political economy. It really works very well within the existing exa- status quo. Uh, it doesn't amount or doesn't create a challenge to either, you know. What it was the global financial crisis, not even kind of the structures that actually in Spain have contributed to worsening mm-hmm. or kind of making, kind of, yeah, contributing to worsening the consequences of the global financial crisis. So, you know, with those red lines, there is very little room for any radical transformation okay. at all. Uh, so it's going to be, yeah, kind of gradual and, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Okay. okay. Well, in that, you know. Happy note. Happy yeah, and <laughs> happy note. Uh that's it for today. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Oh well, thanks Na- a lot, Javier. Yeah.